0: You know, I really enjoy going into the outdoors and taking my boys to explore nature. And this past summer on our vacation trip, we went to Missouri and explored a bunch of different caves. And, you know, I really enjoy caving. As you get in there into the deep, dark depths of the earth, one thing that's amazing is when you turn off the flashlights and everything just goes pitch black. You know, years ago when I was a young boy in Boy Scouts, we went caving on a trip, and I remember being in those, in the dark caves of Laurel Caverns, and when they turned out the lights, in fact, there was one instance where all of us boys went on ahead, and my father and one other adult stayed in this one ledge, and they were just sitting there with their flashlights out as another group walked past them, and from, as the story goes, this other group sat next to them, took a break, and moved on, and never once knew that they were there. It was completely dark in that cave. If you've ever been caving, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And in that moment, when I'm in the middle of the cave, deep in the depths of the earth, and I turn out the flashlight, my mind begins to ponder the time when nothing existed. The time when there was nothing in existence. I mean, at one point before the world was created, It was pitch black. There was nothing. And at the very beginning of the Bible, this isn't in your notes, but in Genesis 1, we see the formation of the earth and everything that that exists. In fact, in verse 1 of Genesis 1, which is the start of this whole journey of God and, and coming to us, It says that God created the heavens and the earth. And I love verse 2 in Genesis when it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over everything. There was nothing in existence. At the beginning, before time became known, it was like sitting in a dark cave. A whole bunch of nothingness. But check this out. The very first words of the Bible, the first words of this amazing journey of God coming to us was in the beginning, God created. Before anything was, this God of all the universe created. You know what is so crazy about that? He took nothing and turned it into something. All throughout history, there have been some great inventions. For example, there was the wheel. The wheel was invented by uh, by the Mesopotamians around 3500 B.C. Paper was another great invention that was invented in 100 B.C. in China. The printing press was invented in 1439 by the German Johannes Gutenberg. The steam engine was invented in the late 1700s by James Watt. The telephone, as you probably know, was invented in the 1800s by Alexander Graham Bell. And there's so many other great and amazing inventions all throughout history, like vaccinations, um, the internal combustion engines, cars, airplanes, penicillin, rockets, semiconductors, computers, and even the Internet were all amazing inventions that took place in the course of history. But guess what? All those great inventors, all those amazing creators, if you will, all throughout history, they started with something. They started with something that transformed into this amazing invention. But God, he started with nothing. The Bible says that he spoke everything that is into existence. So just grapple with that for just a moment. You want to create something? You want to challenge God and compare yourself to God and say that you can create things? Well, everything you create starts with something, but God created everything that exists. He started with nothing and created everything. The point is this. Jot this down in your notes. God is creator. God is the creator. He is the ultimate creator. Everything that exists is because of him. The lights, all the planets and the stars and the the eclipse that we watched the last week or a couple weeks ago was all because of him. He created the clouds, the trees, the mountains, the animals. It was all because of God. And in everything he created, he created us. He created you, and he created me. We are a creation of his. And now understanding that he is the creator, that should have an effect on how we view him, how we understand him, how we respond to him, how we act and behave in our life. You know, when we grow up, we tend to go through cycles in our relationships with our parents, didn't we? Or do we, for some of you that are still in those stages? You know, you go through the cycles of the younger years. We find comfort and strength in our parents. We we look up to them. We lean on them. We seek their support in our life. And then as we go through what I like to call the finding independence years, we think our parents usually just don't get it. They don't understand life. They're not really that smart. And then when we get to the adult years, all of a sudden that transforms and we say, boy, my parents weren't that dumb after all, right? And we all go through these cycles of life in our relationship with our parents. And in the same way, our view of God tends to change over the lifestyle cycles of our spiritual growth as well. Sometimes we think God is awesome. Other times we think we know it all, or that we can handle it on our own. But if God is the creator of us, it should we drive how we view Him. It should drive everything that we are. You see, the most fundamental understanding of Him as creator is this. Jot this down: God is sovereign. God is sovereign. You know what that means? That means that God, the creator of everything that is, is the absolute authority over all of his creation. It is his call and it is his right what will happen and what won't happen. He's the one who calls the shots. It's not your call. And it's not my call. It's his But here's the struggle. At some level, we all think that we are inventors at some form of our being, at some form of our existence. We all think that we developed the good that happens in our life. You know, I'm the one who got ahead in my job. I'm the one who achieved this. I'm the one who gained all this stuff. And we tend to think, since I took bits and pieces of his creation and formed it into something that is pretty good, then I've got this. I don't need him. I understand it. I can be my own God. Maybe you don't say those words, but in many ways, we act that out. But here's the thing. God is creator. And as creators, he is sovereign. He has the control. And ultimately, nothing happens without his approval nothing happens without his approval he has full control over everything that he has made which leads us to a very important question as the creator and since he is sovereign the question is this do i trust him That's the bottom line of everything Knowing who he is and the reality of who he is, do I trust him? This is a tough question. And before you jump on that and say, yes, I trust him, Bill, in everything, know this. This goes beyond the mind. It goes to the heart. When things go my way, do I trust him? When life doesn't go my way and I don't get what what I want or tragedy hits, do I still trust him? You see, trust is something that is developed and formed through um, time and, and, and effort. It's accepting the fact that he is God and I'm not. I don't call the shots. He does. I don't control what happens in this world. He does. And in that, do I still trust him in who he is? That's a tough question. As we turn on the news, as we see what's going on around the world, do I trust him? And in order to trust God, we need to understand his nature, who he is, how he works, what he's all about. It's like understanding him as a specialist. You know, in tax season, I want to go to my tax guy, who, by the way, is my dad. But we'll we'll leave that under another, another note. Because here's the understanding. Money and, and numbers, I, that's beyond my thinking. And I need to go to the specialist to help me understand. And based upon their knowledge of that, that structure, whatever it might be, I trust them. And at some level, we need to understand the nature of God, how he works, and honestly ask the question, understanding who he, who he is, do I trust him? Do I trust him? You know, this next portion of your notes, I'm gonna go through this pretty quickly because we don't have the time to really dig deep in all this, but we need to lay this foundation on our curious comment today because without this understanding, you will never understand what this is all about or what God, what Paul's saying in Romans 8.30 and, and what it means about predestination and all that different stuff. So we need to understand the nature of God. First of all, God is eternal, This means that he has no limits in time. He has no limits in time. Here's the crazy thing that blows my mind away. God always existed, and he will always exist. I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, that's beyond our understanding and comprehension. That means before time existed, before this world was created, before darkness formed light, before all that happened, God was there. He was always there, and he was always will be there. No one ever created God. He always existed. That just, I I don't get, that's one of my questions to God. How? Help me ponder that. That is amazing. And the Bible says in Psalm 90, verses 1 through 2, look at this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You are always there. And you will always be there. Secondly, God is omnipresent. Now, these are some big, fancy theological words. Let me explain them a little bit. God is omnipresent. This is meaning he has no limit to location. He has no limit to location. In other words, he's everywhere all the time. As he's hanging out with us here in Moon Township at Impact, he's hanging out with our brothers and sisters who are struggling in Houston. And, and others who are in, in Iraq and, and, and Europe and all over the world. He is there right now, too. He is everywhere, all over, at the same time, in the same location. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And from there, another understanding of God's nature is God is omniscient. This means he has no limits in his knowledge. He has no limits in his knowledge. He knows everything. That's scary. Yeah, he knows everything about you. He knows what you're thinking, and he knows what you're going to do tomorrow. Because you know why? Because he has what the Bible calls as foreknowledge. We're going to get to that in a little bit. And that foreknowledge gives him the ability to know what is going to happen in the future. Look what it says in Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our God, and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And finally, God is... omnipotent. I I always struggle with this one. My wife always yells at me, omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. I just, she yells at me for pronouncing it this way, but it just helps me out. He's omnipotent because he has a lot of potency, right? That's what he's all about. But this means he's all-powerful. He has the ability to do anything that can be done. Anything that can be done, he can do it. Look what it says in Psalm 135, verses 5 through 6. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. He is all-powerful. That's God's nature. And beyond that, he has his moral qualities. He's holy. He's just. He's loving. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's patient. He's wise. He's faithful. He is God. I share all this so that we can grasp the nature of who God is as we process the question, do I trust him? Knowing that he is the creator of everything and he has full authority over all creation, do you trust him? Do you trust him in his sovereignty? You know, our curious comment for today along with so many other biblical understandings, at some point, it comes down to, you're not gonna get it all. At some point, you just have to trust him that he is God and you are not. That's why some of these curious comments are so challenging to us because we want to get it all. And at some points God just says, you're not because you're not God. But do you trust me? And we need to ask that question, to be honest with that question, this weekend. You know, looking back at some of the great inventions of history, they all had a purpose. For example, the wheel that I had already mentioned earlier, like I said, was invented in Mesopotamia in 3500 B.C. And did you know that it was originally used as in the creation of pottery? That's why they made it, to help um, develop and create pottery. But about 300 years later, the wheel was put on a chariot, and the rest is history. I mean, can you imagine how we would get around if the wheel was never invented? I mean, can you just imagine what life would be like? You see, all great inventions, every invention was invented for a purpose. Everything had a purpose, and the same is true with God. He didn't wake up one morning and just say, you know what, just for fun, I'm going to create this world, and I'm going to create Bill because he's kind of funny. Yeah, he didn't do that. He said, I have a purpose. In God's creation, everything that he created had a purpose within his creation. So jot this down. God created us for a purpose. You weren't created by accident. You were not created by accident. You, my friend, every person sitting in this room was created for a purpose. And as creator... And through his sovereignty, God created mankind with this. Look at verse, Romans 8, 28. Paul, the apostle Paul, writes these words, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you see that? We all have a purpose. But in order to understand this, we need to identify what's God's purpose because we cannot understand this passage in Romans eight, which is a very challenging passage, passage. Don't 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 misunderstand me; it's very challenging, but we can't understand it if we don't first understand what is God's purpose. You know, many often wrestle with this verse as to what the good stands for that Paul highlights here, that the good that he's working us towards, the working us towards is this ongoing work in progress that God is doing in those that he called. And some stretch this verse to, to the thinking that, well, he's talking about the good life. That if we're faithful, then we'll have material gains and we'll have wealth and we'll have all the good life. But that's not what Paul is meaning here. That's not Paul's intention. Because if you go back a few verses, in the previous verses, Paul is talking about the struggles that people are having. Such harsh struggles and their weaknesses and how to overcome life and the difficulties of life and living for Jesus. That they don't even know what to pray for and the goodness with his, was his blessings, his eternal blessing that he wanted to give to us, his kingdom, and the ability to overcome those struggles. And God is continually working within those towards his goodness. But don't miss this. God works together the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. See, Paul highlights this purpose in the very next verse in Romans eight twenty-nine when he said when he writes these words. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Do you see that? Please don't miss the point of these verses. God created us for a purpose, and the purpose was to gather together a family. He created us to gather a family. And what I mean by that is this. The family that God desires to develop and to create is a collection of believers who love them as, his, as their heavenly father and glorify him forever and ever, for all eternity. And in this family, there are blessings. There are the blessings that come with it. That's the point of God's creation. He didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm bored. I'm going to create this new world. No, God said, I want to create a family. I want people that will gather around me for all eternity and and recognize that I am God and worship me and love me for who I am. That's why he created everything that is. That's why he created us. This was the beauty of the Garden of Eden. God created in the garden everything good. Man was in the presence of God. I can only imagine walking with him, grabbing an apple off the tree and hanging out with God. But then sin entered. And because sin entered the world, our ability to be in his presence got hijacked. And now this purpose can only be accomplished through Jesus, as Paul writes in Romans 8, as the firstborn of the family. To look at Paul's entire dialogue here, what's going on is in Romans 8, He's real. he's revealing that there's comfort and there's assurance in the midst of your adversity that he talks about in Romans eight twenty six through 27. And God's power causes good to those who call him. And that's the purpose of this all. The purpose is the realization that he created us for his purpose. If we love him, if we run towards him, we will achieve his blessings and his goodness that he wants because he wants us as a part of his family. And here's the process. That due to God's nature that we talked about earlier today, he has the ability to see the end and work together the good of those who love him. Do you catch that? Due to God's nature... Like I said, we will never be understand all this without knowing and understanding God's nature. But due to his nature, he has the ability to see the end result. And work together the good of those who love him. You see, here's where it really gets difficult. Trying to grasp the reality of God in the realms of physicality is a difficult way to go. Because we will never understand him. Why? Because God is spiritual. God's in a whole different realm than us. And it's very difficult for us to truly ever understand him. And to be honest, this whole question is us trying to figure out the nature and the sovereignty of God. And due to God's nature, his ability to know all things and to see the end result, he works together to the good of those who love him. He called us, he justified us, he glorified us. And this, my friends, is where the act of foreknowledge and the decree of predestination blend together. And as you read the verses, these two things go hand in hand. The relationship between this act of foreknowledge and the decree of predestination may be the most wrestled with and controversial verse in all of Romans. You know, I'm not gonna lie, it's a very challenging portion of scripture to comprehend. It is. But is this a point to divide over? No way. Like Pastor Steve said a few weeks ago, we have to be careful over things that are opinion, things that are, are of God to divide over. See, here's what happens. When we argue over the workings of God, we often miss the main point of the message. And my friends, that's what I fear has happened so many times with this message. To understand God and how he works. We have to understand his nature, the sovereignty that he is in creation. It all comes down to the question do I trust him? Do I trust him in the reality that ultimately I'm not in control? He is. I don't call the shots, he does. Do I trust him in that? You know, this whole Greek, uh, the whole idea of predestination, the Greek word that's used in that verse is perizo. It means to determine beforehand. And so before everything existed, God and his, his uh, limitless knowledge, the ability to see the future, to know all things, he saw who would love him. He saw the end game. He saw how it all would come together and predestined them to be conformed to the image of the Son. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 829, when he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now, trying to comprehend all this stuff in God's nature, like I said, is mind boggling. It stirs the pot, it gets crazy. You know, just to understand that God always existed, that he sees the future and he knows how it unfolds. I mean, just read Revelation. How would he not know that? How does he know that? Because of his nature. Ultimately, what God desires are those who will love him and worship him. That's the main purpose. For all eternity, God desires a family of people that will choose him, love him, and worship him. I mean, look at these two verses that reveal the love between us and God. 1 Corinthians 8.3, it says, But whoever loves God is known by God. And then 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved God us. You see, love goes back and forth between us and God. He loved us. He gave us the opportunity to love him in return, and that's his ultimate desire. Here's the bottom line. Jot this down in your notes. God gave man the ability to choose. He gave every one of us the ability to choose to love him or not love him. We all have what's called free will. That's what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve had the opportunity to choose God and listen to him and say, I'm not going to go near that tree, or go for it. See what happens. Eat that fruit. And that's what they did. And so why did God give us free will? Why did he give us the ability to choose? Why did he not just say, you know what? I'm going to make you all with not the ability to choose. You will all choose me. Because don't forget what his ultimate purpose was. His ultimate purpose was to gather together a family that will truly love him and worship him for all eternity. Ultimately, he wants an honest heart of love and devotion. He wants your heart. And whenever is love that's forced real, it's not, is it? He wants real love. He doesn't want puppets. And so with this understanding, we need to know that salvation is conditional. It's conditional for those who choose, who choose him. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the, to the Jew, then, then to the Gentile. Do you see that? Underline that. It brings salvation to everyone who believes. We all have the choice. You have the choice to choose him or not choose him. Salvation is for everybody who, who will come to him. He gave that opportunity. He gave us the opportunity to choose him. And here are just some other verses i like to highlight. Just, I'm going to read them really quickly, but I hope that you go back and read them later. To, to, that reveals the reality of our choice. Second Thessalonians 2.14, it says, He called you this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10.17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And then Romans 10.13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone has the choice to do that. And so the journey of God's purpose, the highlight of our curious comment, is right here in Romans 8.30. This is where it gets crazy, my friends. Romans 8.30, Paul says this, And those he predestined, he also called, And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is the train we need to get on. This is God, get on my train or you're going to miss out. Because here he's saying, those he foreknew, those he already knew that are going to choose to love him because of his nature, because of his ability to see the future, he predestined them, he called them. Calling, this calling is his, his initiation with us, his personal contact coming and, and coming into our relationship to saying, I am bringing you to me. Justification is the act of being made right before God and the glorification, that's the final stage of, of salvation. When we see him in all of his glory, and we reveal all of his blessings. You know what this really is? It's a spiritual detox. I mean, in, in physical sense, we all go through, have to go through detox at some point, right? Or we should. If we want to have a healthy body, spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. We need a spiritual detox. In other words, God cleaning all the junk of sin in our life out and making us pure. That's justification. Making us Right before God but don't miss the main point every one of you has the opportunity to choose which path you will go which path will you go I'm going to wrap things up by reading this parable it's kind of lengthy but it kind of pulls everything together it's Jesus' parable of the wedding banquet found in Matthew 22 verses 2-14 through if you have your notes read along with me or read it up there, it says, Jesus says these words, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet, but they paid no attention and went off. "'One to to his field, another to his business. "'The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. "'The king was enraged. "'He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. "'Then he said to his servants, "'The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. "'So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet everyone you find.' "'So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, "'the bad as well as the good.' And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed the man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness and, and where, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. You see, in this parable, we see a couple different people that missed out. They missed out on the wedding banquet, and the wedding banquet is God's kingdom, his eternity with him. The first invitation went to people that refused the invite. They got the invitation. They had the opportunity to come, but they refused it. They chose to do other things. They paid no attention, and they went off. They had a choice, but they went back to life to what they feel was more important, to other priorities, and some even mistreated the king's servants. And I feel sometimes there's many of us who have the opportunity to choose him, but sadly we find other priorities that are more important than Jesus. The second invite went out to others who came to the wedding, but there was that one man The one man who came, not wearing wedding clothes. In other words, before you jump on me, what they were saying was, he wasn't doing what was needed to enter the kingdom. Here is what were the requirements to come to the wedding. And you didn't follow my requirements. So get out. I never knew you. See, Jesus gave the opportunity to choose. He gave the how-to, how to get to him into a real relationship with him and to make him the Lord of our life. But like Jesus said in verse 14, many are invited, but few are chosen. See, it's not so much that Jesus pushed us away. The reality is that we turned away from the invitation. We try to do things our way. God gave us all the opportunity. He knows the end result. He knows how our days are going to end. But that does not mean we throw in the towel. It doesn't mean, well, forget it. He already knows, and I can just do whatever I want. Because ultimately, He knows your heart. And He judges us based upon our heart. And we need to be honest with ourselves. In my heart of hearts, am I choosing him? Am I gonna follow him? Or am I gonna choose my way? That's the most important thing. He created you for a purpose. And he wants you a part of his family if you will just come to him. And there you'll find the rewards. Let's pray together. Father, There's no doubt that this passage in scripture in Romans 8 is is such a difficult passage to comprehend. And there's so many um, things about your nature that we just don't get. But Lord, help us to not in our um, shortcomings in our understanding to to walk away from you or to um, deny you or whatever it might be, but help us to choose you Help us to know that you are the creator, that you are sovereign, and in that, we trust you, even if we don't get it all. Lord, we just want to follow you. We want to be more like you. We want your blessings. Lord, we know we won't get it all, but we choose you. in your name we pray. Amen.